Well, once again, we have the opportunity this morning to uh, open up the Word of God together. Uh, and as we do, let's go ahead and commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we just uh, sang, uh, teach us uh, to wait, to be patient uh, as we come to you in prayer, uh, realizing that you always hear us. Uh, as the scriptures tell us, you even know every word before we utter one. Uh, because you know all things. There is nothing that you do not know. Uh, and Father, as we come to you, it's an acknowledgement of our need for you, uh, an acknowledgement that uh, we are coming to the one who declares the end from the beginning, the one who does know all things, that can speak truth into our lives. And Father, we know that is also true when we come into your word, uh, as we study it, as we uh, take it and make it part of who we are. Uh, you, you've given us your word as your love letter to us, so that uh, we don't need to guess uh, what uh, pleases you. We don't need to uh, guess what will happen after we die. Uh, we, we know the answer to all those questions because you've given them to us, uh, the God who is eternal, uh, the God who uh, loves us through uh, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, Father, uh, guide us this morning. May your Spirit work uh, through me, uh, a willing vessel, uh, flawed uh, because of sin, uh, but Lord, your truth uh, can transform any and every life just as it's transformed mine. And so, Father, I ask that and pray that for each one here this morning, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Today is part 3, uh, as we continue on in those first three verses uh, where Paul has uh, put forth uh, in urgency, uh, as an appeal, as a call uh, to every believer to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is that calling? It's salvation in Jesus Christ. That calling is to be holy as God is holy. Uh, and that all begins by God doing a great work of uh, showing us our need of a Savior, uh, and through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, um, changing us from the inside out. Not just dressing us up, not just giving us a hopeful, as in, I hope it happens. Uh, there is surety uh, in this calling, because the calling itself belongs to God himself. Uh, and so as we see this, Paul is urging believers to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. So in other words, don't walk like you used to walk in the flesh and in the desires of the sinful flesh, but instead walk in such a way that is characteristic of this work that has been done. And you'll know the very first week uh, in part one of this section, we talked about the characteristics of biblical humility, which is just it is defined as lowliness of mind. Well, everything's messed up with the slides <laughs> there this morning. Try again. Oh, well, it's doing all kinds of funny things there. There we go. That's the one I want. <laughs> so in relation to biblical humility, uh, it is us ceasing living to self. It is a credence or an acknowledgement of God's authority and his provision for us. Uh, it is counting others more significant than ourselves. Uh, it is finding our contentment, not in self, but in God. And it is a casting of our burdens on the Lord. 
Uh, and that's what biblical humility looks like. It is not something that uh, the world would characterize as something that is wanting or looking for, uh, but it is something as a result of what God has done internally so that we swallow our pride and we humble ourselves before the Lord God Almighty who we sung to this morning. And then last time, uh, we took a look at meekness uh, and what biblical meekness is. Uh, And we saw that it is a willful acceptance of what God has ordained, no matter what that may be. In other words, it is how we stand before God in light of the life that God has given to us. Are we going to accept it from God, no matter what it looks like? Or are we going to question it? Are we going to shake our fist at heaven and say, God, why? Or are we going to, in meekness or gentleness, accept God's will for us? Meekness is power under control. In other words, it's God taking his power through the spirit that indwells every believer and giving us not only direction, um, but a particular direction to go. Um, He's just not just winding us up and hoping that we're going to go in the right direction. He is guiding us. Uh, It is power under control. Uh, Meekness also places us under God's thoughts and ways, as we looked at Isaiah 55, where it says that God's uh, thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways because they are holy. God does not have a thought or a way that is unholy. And therefore, as we look to him, as we humble ourselves first, what will result will be a meekness or a gentleness where we say, yes, God, I trust you. You know, I don't know everything. And therefore, I'm going to come under your thoughts and your ways because they are the very best thoughts, the very best ways. But it is also change in relation to our focus. Um, We took a look at Matthew chapter 5 because someone who is meek uh, is someone who is blessed, um, but they are someone who mourns over their sin, but also pursues or hungers and thirsts for righteousness. So again, something contrary, something different than the rest of the world uh, it is a change of focus. It is a change of desire. Uh, and so as we you know, swallow our pride, as we humble ourselves, we find ourselves changing our focus so that we start to see our lives through God's eyes and through his word. And then last week, we talked about meekness being a demonstration in, uh, uh, a, in trust of God himself because of his character, because of the fact that he is sovereign over all, uh, his goodness, his faithfulness, all those things. Uh, And so meekness shows that we trust God. And he is the very best person to trust. We never need to doubt that God is going to do us harm. He only does that which is good, the scriptures tell us, and particularly for those who are his children. And then we finally, as we applied all of that uh, in relation to meekness, Uh, We said that we should pursue meekness, we should put on meekness, and with meekness, you know, receive the implanted word or the word of God itself, because all of those things will continue to create an environment where we see ourselves through God's eyes, we see this great work of humility and meekness. Which brings us to this third characteristic, which I know you've been impatiently waiting for, uh, but we're going to talk about patience this morning. Uh, and I want us to start out realizing that, uh, you know, for some of us, being patient, and particularly in the, the culture in which we live, particularly in the lives in which we live, uh, you know, we can say, you know, with some surety that patience is not something that I can afford to have. 
Uh, because if I'm patient, then I'm going to miss out on something or something is going to overwhelm me. I got to be one step ahead uh, and not do what we sung about in relation to waiting on the Lord. Uh, And so we're going to take and look at two different aspects this morning. We're going to look at patient enduring as well as patient waiting. Uh, And we're going to look at that through a particular lens, which is going to help us be able to see this worked out in our own lives. And so as we take a look at that word patience uh, in the text, um, it's defined as forbearance, or in some of your translations, you may see the word long-suffering. Um, It is self-restraint before proceeding to action. Uh, It is the quality of a person who is able to avenge themselves, yet refrains from doing so. So it's within their power to do it, but they refrain from doing it because they are a patient individual. They have um, a self-restraint. They are long-suffering. They have forbearance. Uh, And this word really actually can be defined and looked in light of godly forbearance looking at God's patience uh, in relation to that. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we've, we've spent some time in the past looking at the different attributes of God. And one of the ones that is probably, maybe not by design, neglected is that of the patience of God. Uh, and that is oftentimes because patience is looked at through the lens of God's mercy. Uh, and so it kind of gets sidetracked uh, or you know put to the side in relation to, say, God's Omni, uh, omnipresence, his omnipotence, uh, the fact that he is all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, and everywhere present, um, all those bigger ones that we're used to, the fact that he's holy. But did you know our God is also patient? Today we're going to see that lived out in a very real way. Uh, and so I'd like to begin by sharing in relation to this patient enduring, uh, because our God is enduring. And he's doing so patiently. According to Hebrew uh, tradition or Hebrew story, Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man weary from age and journey coming toward him. Abraham rushed out, greeted him, and then invited him into his tent. There he washed the old man's feet and gave him food and drink. The old man immediately began eating without saying a prayer or blessing. So Abraham asked, don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship fire only and reverence no other God. When he had heard this, Abraham became incensed, grabbed the old man by the shoulders and threw him out of the tent into the cold night air. When the old man had departed, God called to his friend Abram or Abraham and asked where the stranger was. Abraham replied, I forced him out because he did not worship you. God answered, I have suffered him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night? Let that sink in for a moment. See, the thing is, is we don't really realize how patient God is, how merciful God is. Because if God was... Wanting to, he could immediately execute justice by giving each and every one of us what we deserve. But I can say that, you know, the Lord was patient towards me in relation to my salvation, that he did not execute justice 
as a, a very young, you know, three, four-year-old, you know, that was for sure showing a sinful nature, showing that I wanted things that uh, others had or, you know, was in defiance of what my parents wanted me to eat uh, or doing things of that sort. Now, depending upon where you find yourself at, what your story is, you may say that, well, there was a lot of things that I did, things that I did in fulfilling the desires of my flesh. Well, you know, even one sin, one transgression of God's law is enough for God to execute justice as the one who has been wronged. He has every right to because he is the creator God. And the thing is, is what we see as we look at God and we look at how balanced he is, is the fact that he's patient. I'm living testimony to that. I don't know why God puts up with me sometimes. Why I'm still here. Because sometimes I, you know, give in to the sinful flesh. Sometimes I think things or say things or do things that God should just say, at least in my mind, that's enough. But you know, God is patient. And I want you to look at it through the light of Galatians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there this morning. But Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, give us a, a pretty good picture of what God endures as the holy, holy, holy God of all. See, God is patient towards those who blatantly defy him. I was one of those. You were one of those. Some of you here this morning may be one of those right now who are blatantly defying him. But when you look at that list in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19, think of the rampant sexual sins that God endures. His holiness on one hand is, is, is saying that I've been wronged and justice should be executed because my law is perfect. I am holy, holy, holy. And sin is an active rebellion against that holiness. But you look at our world in which we live, there's adultery where men and women are violating the marriage covenant as if marriage, you know, doesn't matter. There is prostitution, buying and selling of sex outside of marriage. And that's rampant in our culture. You know, you may not see it if you go into the, the streets of Ellington. You might see it down in Hartford. If you go to Chicago, I can guarantee you'll see it. Pornography, sexual images for pleasure, things that, again, God is enduring as people take and, and just you know, idolize or you know, focus on the physical aspects of someone as opposed to who they are. They're just an object, not something that is worth getting to know. It's just fulfilling a gratification of a desire that someone has. How about rampant idolatry? Worshiping other man-made gods. You know, you may have a god of your own making right here this morning. You know, but it's not, it doesn't have to be a little carved image. You know, I could worship this glass of water if I wanted to. I enjoy drinking it. But, you know, we can worship whatever we desire. Witchcraft, worship of the occult and spiritual powers. 
something that, as I was younger and growing up, was something that was not even mentioned as something that would be, you know, uh, a good thing. Now you can watch all kinds of television shows in relation to the celebration of that, that that's just another, you know, uh, thing that you can participate in. But again, look at it in light of the God who is patiently enduring. These are all transgressions against the holy God of all. You know, you may not fit into those first few categories, but this one I know that we can fit into from time to time, and that is rampant selfishness. You know, hatred towards someone, anger or an antagonistic spirit towards someone else. You know, turn on the news and you can see it happening. You know, there, right now there is an antagonism towards law enforcement, towards people that, you know, may have been, you know, have worked hard their entire lives to have what they have, but yet there is a sense in which people hate them. Jealousy, desiring what others have. How about murder, the taking of innocent life, abuse of others as well as self? See, all of these are rampant examples of sins. These are things that are blatantly in defiance of the holy God of all. You know, and I know the illustration was kind of humorous, but I'm doing this for the effect of helping you see that, yes, it's humorous that Abraham, you know, kicked him out after one day and God has been enduring him for, you know, some 80 years. But when you think about that just in light of who you are, just individualize it. Think about everything that you've done in in opposition to God. Every sin, just in this past week. And then multiply it by the amount of people in this room. Then multiply it by the amount of people in the state of Connecticut, in the United States of America, everywhere on the planet. That is happening at every moment of every day and has been doing so for millennia since the Garden of Eden. This gives you a small taste of just how patiently enduring our God is. Now, let me state here for a moment before you think that this is giving us a license to go and do whatever we want because God is going to patiently endure. Because God's patient in allowing these things to happen is not God's approval by any shape or form or showing God's apathy Because we can look at the scriptures and see that, yes, God is patient, but he is also just. He is also right. And there is a day of judgment coming. His justice demands that it happen. So in other words, his patience isn't going to, you know, outweigh his justice, just like his love is not going to outweigh his righteousness. Okay, God doesn't turn a blind eye to those things that are in defiance to him. He has to as the God of all, as the God who is holy, 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 who is perfect, who is good, who is right, who is just, has to execute justice. Otherwise, he is no longer a just judge. And so the way we know that is because of the cross. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross, showing the justice of God, but also showing the mercy of God and the grace of God and the love of God. But his blood was shed for us to have all of those blatant sins in opposition to God, the ones that he was patiently enduring, finally be balanced with justice. 
because blood was the payment. But there's some in this world, some that have already died, some that are going to die yet, maybe even later on today, maybe right now at this moment, who are going to receive the judgment on their sin because they've never trusted Jesus Christ. Because God's patience is balanced by his justice. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There's the balance. The kindness of God, the patience of God, the forbearance of God balanced out with the execution of his justice, which has to happen. But in the meantime, every moment of every day, until the the point at which Jesus Christ returns, until the culmination of all things where God declares the end, he is patiently enduring And patiently waiting as well. Which brings us to our second point. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God patiently endures those who are blatantly sinning against him, who we were numbered among them, we once were them, we still do sin, but you know, Jesus paid the ultimate price with his life. He shed his blood to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, to give me his righteousness in place of my rampant sinfulness. We see, we see a beautiful picture of this godly forbearance, this patient waiting And notice it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Because there's some people that say, you know what, Lord, just come back. Let these people get what they deserve. But you know what? Those same fingers pointing, those same, you know, calls on God. What if we were on the other side? What if God is patiently waiting for the right moment for the gospel message to do its great work and to help you see your need of repenting of your sins and trusting in Lord Jesus Christ. Something that he patiently endured that sin up until that point, patiently waiting for that culmination on that particular day and that set of circumstances where you were going to break down and see your need of a Savior. Some of you sitting here this morning, you've already experienced that. And so this is a joy for you. But there may be some of you sitting here this morning that have never done that. And know this, that there is a day of judgment coming. You cannot change that because you are not God. And God will balance the scales. His justice demands it. His holiness demands it. His patience demands it. Some years ago, a speedboat driver who had survived a racing accident described what had happened. 
He said he had been near top speeds when the boat veered slightly and hit a wave at a dangerous angle. The combined force of his speed and the size and the angle of the wave sent the boat spinning crazily into the air. He was thrown from his seat and propelled deeply into the water, so deep, in fact, that he had no idea which direction the surface was. He had to remain calm and wait for the buoyancy of his life vest to begin pulling him up. Once he discovered which way was up, he could swim for the surface. Sometimes we find ourselves surrounded by confusing options, too deeply immersed in our own problems to know which way is up. When this happens, we can remain calm, waiting for God's gentle tug to pull us in the proper direction. God is patiently waiting. The reason I know that is because the Lord Jesus Christ has not returned. So when we talk about the long-suffering of God towards you, that is right now. And the thing is, is that I would like to propose that each one of us are that, are that speedboat driver. Some of us are that speedboat driver in the world dead in their trespasses and sins, living however they want. They are the ones that are blatantly in defiance against Almighty God. And they're living life so recklessly that when the boat crashes, they do find themselves trying to figure out which direction to go. What's going to be the next new high? What is going to fulfill my desire? What am I going to surround myself with? Because, you know, live for today, for tomorrow you may die. The thing is, is that Jesus is not slow in keeping his promise. And the call of salvation is even right now, today. And we all know someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Some of us have family members, best friends, co-workers, people we love. The thing is, is this morning, maybe God is gently tugging, pulling you towards repentance. But I said all of us are that speedboat driver because sometimes even as believers, we're going through life at such rapid speed, so focused on what we are looking to accomplish that we don't even see the dangers around us. Or we pretend like the dangers aren't there. And then when they do happen... Well, I should have known better. The thing is, is sometimes we are just like that, surrounded by confusing options. What do we do? Well, we talked about, you know, waiting on the Lord as we sung this morning. The thing is, is sometimes we need to stop and just say, I'm going to wait. Which way is up? And that personal flotation device is Jesus Christ because we belong to him. And he's going to help us to know which way is up. As he directs us and gives us the ability, as we talked about in meekness, giving us a particular way and a direction because meekness is power under control. So how should this inform our lives today? Well, just like we talked about humility and meekness, that you cannot be meek without humility, 
that you have to swallow your pride in order to be gentle towards someone? Well, these all work together. I know I've separated them into separate sermons, but you need to see the connection. Because in order to be patient, you need to first be humble, second, gentle, which will produce patience. Patience will flow out of a humble and gentle believer. So, in light of the God who is patiently enduring, how can we patiently endure? 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So there's a call to believers for us to be patient with everybody. So that means you've got to be patient with me, whether you like it or not. But know this, that God is still working on me. We have a little phrase we say, be patient because God's still working on me. But you'll notice this verse here as it talks and calls for us to patiently endure. You'll notice that there are three different things that are mentioned here. You know, for believers to consider. And it says, and I, we urge you, brothers. So this is for believers. And it is another admonishment for believers. Not just leadership, but also those who belong to Jesus Christ. Admonish the idol. So in other words, those that, those that are idle in the Greek here are those who break rank or march out of step. Because sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we find ourselves chasing after that proverbial windmill, like Don Quixote. And we're missing the mark. We're forgetting who we are in Christ Jesus. It says to admonish them, bring them back, call them back. Second, it says to encourage the faint-hearted. The faint-hearted are those who are fearful or lack courage. And so we're to encourage them to help them along in their faith because each one of us are at a different point in our faith. Maybe because we've been believers for a long period of time. Maybe because we have just now begun reading the word of God in a very tangible way to see that, wow, the word of God is good. I can't get enough of it. And I'm seeing some of that in the men's Bible study as I've been watching some of the text threads that have been going back and forth. And we're going through 2 Timothy right now. And, you know, as I hear from the, the ladies' Bible study as well, you know, as people commit to those times together, not only in fellowship, but also fellowshipping around the Word of God, that it ends up doing something profound. It encourages us even when we may feel as though we don't know which direction is up. Help the weak. The weak are those that lack strength and need upholding. See, this admonishment, this encouragement, this help, uh, this patiently enduring, because the call is to be patient with them all. The thing is, is that at some point, you're going to be all of them. You may be all three of them all at once. Heaven help you. (laughs) But the thing is, is that there's always someone there that can be an encouragement to help see which way is up. Sometimes that's just God himself. But God can use others. He can use believers. He can use non-believers to be able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. Just like the Old Testament saints, think about Noah, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Hosea, Isaiah, 
Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Malachi, just to name a few. Think about how they patiently endured. People of Israel did not want to hear what God had to say. Instead, they suppressed the truth and said, we would rather be, you know, and think about the magnitude of this. We would rather be back in Egypt. You know, sometimes we are so blinded that we can't even see what's right in front of us. But just like the greatest prophet of all, Jesus, 1 Peter 2.23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's the Father. So if Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet of all, he was the prophet, priest, and king, can entrust himself to the Father, can we entrust ourselves to the Father? Can we trust that God's going to do what is the very best for us, whether we like it or not? Absolutely. You're supposed to answer that question. There you go. So patiently endure, but also patiently wait. James 5, 7 and 8 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So something that we can do besides patiently enduring everything that we end up, you know, subjecting ourselves to or others may subject us to, we can also patiently wait, realizing there's a future yet There is a promise yet that God has made that is going to come. And that is Jesus returning. Yes? So can we patiently wait for that even as we see everything in this world? Sometimes just wishing that it would just be done, that Jesus would come back. But realize that every moment that Jesus has not returned is another moment of the God of all showing his forbearance his enduring patience, and his patient waiting for one more soul to swallow their pride, to repent of their sins, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Because the alternative is to pay for those sins ourselves. That's why The cross is so beautiful, so glorious. Why we remember Christ's birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection. Because it means that Jesus Christ took our place. He was our substitute so that we would not have to be under the wrath of God for our sin. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day. Do not test God any longer in his endurance because there is a day coming. Christ could return at any moment. It's imminent. Don't let another day go by. Seize the opportunity of God's patience towards you. And for every believer here this morning, make sure that in the busyness of life, as you're going through life in a speedboat, 
that when you do crash, that you trust in God at that time as well. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Father, uh, patience is one of your beautiful attributes. Lord, we know that you patiently endure even though you're not in any way, shape, or form approving or showing apathy towards sin because you're not. We know that sin is costly because Jesus Christ died on the cross. He shed his blood so that we could receive forgiveness, so that we would not have to experience your wrath on sin, which is tremendous. For every believer here this morning, that should just cause us to pause, reflect, and be thankful for your patience towards us, even when we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, but now because of your patience and your grace and your mercy and your love for us through Christ, we've been saved, we've been forgiven. Father, help us to learn from your example of patience. Help us to endure as we live this life. Help us to wait in expectation of the next. As we join you because of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when we will for eternity be in your presence, to be in a place that you have prepared for us. As Jesus said, and if he goes to prepare a place for us, he will come again and bring us to himself. That day is coming. And Father, we look forward to that day, but also too, Lord, we look forward to being able to praise along with the angels every soul that is saved between now and then. Because you're a good God. Because we all deserve death. We all deserve judgment. Thank you, Jesus. In his name, amen.